Hey, FFR listeners, this is the producer Rob speaking. It's that time of year when everyone starts to think about the important things in life, like our taxes. Did you know that a donation to Feminist Frequency is actually tax deductible? If you have a few bucks a month to spare, head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak, F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Help us out, but also help yourself to all the great exclusive content that's available only to people who are signed up on our Patreon. I mean, now, like, we have this amazing selection of hunks, sweeties, hot mamas that we can be in love with, but the teen machos have, like, a very special and sensitive place in my heart. Masters. 100% pure adrenaline. Weapons. Your move, creep. Dominates. Ain't on her. Machos. The only place you're gonna go is the hospital. I will be right back. Welcome to episode one of Feminist Frequency Presents Machos Fully Loaded. This is the podcast that asks you to be critical of the media you love, and this season we're taking a cold, hard look at masculinity in movies and TV. I'm Kat Spada. I'm AC Lamberty. Uh, this week, we're going back to high school, getting to know some of the moodiest machos of all, teen machos. We got mm. jocks. We got stoners uh <laughs> we have bad boys you know uh, i've been freaking drawing hearts and boys names in my composition <laughs> notebook all week in preparation cat um for me it's just the cool s over and over <laughs> <laughs> which like complete tangent get ready because it's all tangents from here on out it's not like the a cool vice s is really like funny. a vice investigates about the cool s that said literally nothing yeah they were like this probably originated in graffiti. It's, it's like, no enduring, shit. is what I'll say. <laughs> so, um, I mean, we're gonna dive deep, but like teen media, that's like that's it for me. That is the book of Genesis mm. of my life. Like that is so. You know, I was thinking about in like preparation for this, what I consumed as a teen, and gun yeah. to my head, I can't remember anything I loved. Like. All of the teen media that has had an impact for me has had an impact in my 20s. It's up for Glee. Interesting. Which we could do a whole episode on, honestly. Um, That's a threat. It is a threat. And, like, truly, when you find out that, like, was Mark Salling my favorite one on Glee at the time? Like, (laughs) I I don't want to think about it. (laughs) Goodbye forever. (laughs) I'll see you never. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's the, the, the interesting thing is, like, watching these shows as we're a little older mm. and shows and movies and thinking like, Oh, I wish I was experiencing this or mm. I wish I had experienced this. Totally. Um, and you know, you can't, you can't, but all I've ever done is like live in this fantasy world. So yeah, you're kind of the teen media expert that I know. <laughs> um, I'm very excited for your contributions this week. Yes, I I feel like this is a very comfortable place for me to talk mm-hmm. about pop culture. Um, but before we do break it down even further, I feel like in like writing the show notes and prepping for this episode, um, I have to acknowledge the lion's share of these like coming of age and adolescence things that we grew up on are are so many white boys <laughs> like john hughes fr- from from james dean to john hughes <laughs> and on like it's just so many white boys and i was thinking about like what 
uh, teen or coming of age, adolescent like media I've consumed that features people of color. And a lot of it is stuff I didn't watch until I was older, like Boys in the Hood, mm-hmm. which is a coming of age movie, but it isn't about like, you know, like dating, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a movie about about life life in the hood. And that's completely a different type of movie than you're like, uh, what's the one James Vanderbeek? <laughs> I don't I don't know who that is. Just kidding. I do, but I've never seen it. <laughs> so. Varsity Blues. Oh, Varsity sure. Blues. Yes. You know, I don't want your life, et cetera. Yeah. It's interesting too. Like I was considering doing a euphoria kind of moment because yeah. I do like that show, but which like has more representation of like men or boys of color, but even then it's still gritty and edgy and violent. And like in the current landscape of teen media, it feels like honestly stories about kind of teen women or teen girls mm. are more exploratory of like women of color, girls of color um, in kind of a more nuanced way. Um, so yeah. even, even with modern content, it was hard to find um, rep- like true teen representations. I'm curious to watch some of the new Bel Air, the new yeah. like version of the Fresh Prince, because that is a show that I definitely watched when I was a kid. But it was so much more about like the comedy, the sitcom yeah. element of it, except for, of course, like the heartbreaking Uncle Phil episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, all of this, all of the stuff now is just like deep and dark, yeah. and and I'm open to it. And so, like listeners, I want you to. Please let us know, like, what are our blind spots? What should mm-hmm. we be watching? What? Who are your favorite teen machos? Because we're we're honing in on some of the people that have um, set our hearts aflutter. But we are enthusiastic to hear about more. So we kind of are doing, just because this is like this new format for this season of Feminist Frequency, we aren't talking about like one movie in particular or one macho in particular. When we talk about teens, there are a couple of like archetypes I wanted to focus on and a few things the AC is going to get into. And this was just like a real, it felt like writing in my diary mm-hmm. when I was making notes about this. So film it's... theory, teen diary vibes. Does that make vibes. sense? <laughs> yeah. And I'm just, let's just get into it. Let's go. So there are two types of teen macho that I am focusing on today the brooder and the jock. And you alluded that I might be somewhat of an expert in teen content. Mm -hmm. Um, Listeners, if you don't know, I have hosted a podcast for many years about Beverly Hills 90210. The original, not the remake, although I was watching an episode of Ugly Betty last night that Anna Lynn (laughs) McCord was in. (laughs) I haven't heard that name in years. (laughs) And um, and I of course like paused the episode to show my boyfriend a picture of her dressed like a Navi in the new nine hundred two and zero. He was like, "Why are you? What? What are you doing?" Um, but back to the original nineteen ninety Beverly Hills nine hundred two and zero gave the world the gift of Luke Perry as sports car driving surfer Dylan McKay. When we first meet Dylan, he's reading the works of romantic poet Lord Byron about whom he says, mad, bad, and dangerous to know, that was him. Oh, and that's me. Hot. That is like one of his first lines in the show. And I've never seen an episode, hot. but I'm like, wow, that's, I would be into him. <laughs> we have lots to talk about. No, he's, I mean, that's, this is, this is what we're going to get into is that like, he is 
so hot. And he's this grown up man, obviously. He's like 26 mm-hmm. or something, uh, Luke Perry, but he's into literature and, you know, not school learning, but life learning, <laughs> which perfect. And then 26 years after the pr- debut of Beverly Hills 90210, we traveled from Beverly Hills to West Texas and met the coach and players of the Dillon Panthers, in particular, troubled fullback Tim Riggins, <laughs> possibly the best role mm-hmm. the Canadian himbo Taylor Kitsch has ever played. Clear eyes, et cetera. Yeah, I know. I was when I when I was thinking of that like Lord Byron quote of Dylan McKay, I was going to like put like and what's the follow-up quote for Tim Riggins? Texas Forever? Like <laughs> doesn't say a whole lot. Boy, Taylor Great Kitsch. Program. Like oh. fabulous program, beautiful gowns. Taylor Kitsch, like I just need to take a moment to say like R.I.P. to the fact that mm-hmm. it never matched Tim Riggins ever again. Ever. Ever. Just didn't happen. If you're listening, Taylor, we love you. We do have (laughs) hopes that, like, you know, I thought the Waco thing. (laughs) I thought that playing um, the Branch Davidians guy would would be a good fit. But, you know, we're still we're still Tim Riggins forever in our hearts. Yeah. So I, I, I think I've seen the Friday Night Lights movie, but that series is really like mm-hmm. where it got to breathe. And it is the platonic ideal of teen machos at their finest. These are student athletes breaking a sweat doing two-a-days, but they've got big feelings. And when they act out, it's, it's in the most rash boys will be boys mm-hmm. sort of ways. Tim is like a latchkey kid. The parents are never to be seen. He's being raised by his big brother, Billy, who is ill-equipped to take care of himself or anyone else. Mm -hmm. Damn, I mean, seeding a little bit of what we're going to talk about later, a lot of, like, big brothers taking care of wayward teens in this app. Yeah. Continue. (laughs) No, I mean, really, when you think about, like, where are these boys getting there? Yeah. Uh, They're, like, male role model from? Totally. What upward mobility looks like. Yeah. yeah. And so often, like, especially with with jocks and athletes, like, mm-hmm. this is the kind of narrative of how are you going to get out? How are you going to make it successful? And it's, like, through your body. Yeah. Oh, and, totally. Yeah. And in real life, you can see, I mean, the ESPN 30 for 30 episode broke, I highly recommend, Ooh. which is about athletes who you can't be an athlete forever. And yeah. then what do you have for the rest of your life? Yeah. And, you know, we see Tim kind of go through everything that a teenager might struggle with and then so much more. Like, there's this central infidelity love triangle thing in the first season, Mm -hmm. but he's drinking a lot. He's like a truant. He has no prospects for for his life after football, and he's just self-medicating. Like, he doesn't really know how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. His best friend, Jason Street, played by Scott Porter whose on-the-field accident is the central drama of the pilot episode, the first season, the movie. This was based on a true story, like, originally. You know, oh, wait, speaking of high school content, I had to read the book in high school, which is, like, a a really weird choice for English In, like, an English class? Yeah, it's a good book. Great movie, great show. Apparently, the um, Peter Berg, who made the movie, was, like, Mm. in the stadium when this accident happened. It's like, I have to make that movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, I this was my Wikipedia deep dive. He like did a fundraising concert for wow. the young man 
whose name I can't remember that that Jason Street's based on. Mm-hmm. And then I guess he just like got really involved with the community, which Wow. Kind of love yeah, that. I hope that there were some like residuals uh, yeah. sent their way. Sure. And Street is, you know, this is an interesting story because he's dealing with a with a serious injury and he's like finally kind of finds his way back to himself again by going into into sports like drawing blood on the wheelchair rugby court mm. which even his doctors are like this isn't a good idea you're still healing from your from your spinal cord injury but he has to be an athlete mm-hmm. and then there's uh brian smash williams played by gaius charles the running mm-hmm. back um who is kind of also like he's the best player on the team after streets accident and he has a mother and he's a sister and he's the man of the house. Mm-hmm. Like that is also one of these tropes I think is absolutely there's not a dad around necessarily. Right. The dad of this show is, um, is coach Taylor who only has daughters. Say right. That. <laughs> Perfect. The dad, the daddy. I yes. mean, uh, do you know one time I held Connie Britton's purse, by the way? Wow. Just, just like Coach felt, Taylor would have. I absolutely. I was like, <laughs> I want you to know that I will be here for you. Um, <laughs> Beautiful. But Smash Williams, he's like, yeah, he is the man of the house. But then instead of making his mother proud, like he could be recruited to like a Division One football team. But steroids, performance enhancing drugs mm-hmm. come a call in and he kind of goes for this quick fix. And that's just season one. Like, this is a five-season series that gets completely thrown out of whack by the writer's strike in 2008, uh, Mm -hmm. which is probably why Jesse Plemons, who plays a (laughs) Christian punk rocker that joins the football team for some reason. My twin, Jesse Plemons. Oh, my God. He's so good, by the way. Will win an Oscar in our lifetime. Know he that. absolutely will. I mean, he plays uh, in Friday Night Lights. He plays a character named Landry that Coach Taylor only calls Lance forever <laughs> for the entire run. And he is the lead in a band called Crucifictorious. Um, oh, which like back in the day, Crucifictorious used to actually play at like South by Southwest. Wow. <laughs> I've uh, seen like maybe three episodes of the show, but I really am like, I need to to get into at least season one. You do. So season two is when um, Landry kills a guy. Spoiler. And you can tell that like by the end of the season, the writers are like, we didn't want to do that. But there was a strike and we like took a break. And now what is happening? Sorry. Oh, my God. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Like our bad. By season three, it's like, don't worry about it. It never happened. Mm -hmm. But then you get to like, I think it's not until season four that Michael B. Jordan shows up. Oh, wow. And, the, and Journey Smollett also like oh, shows up in this season. Great. It is, you know, I remember watching Michael B. Jordan as a little boy on The Wire mm-hmm. as Wallace. And now he's grown up into Friday Night Lights. This is this is before, I think, any of his like major film roles. Um, and he's also this like example of this very masculine, like machismo fueled child who could be going to juvie or he could play football and this Mm. is his option i mean i feel like i have more to say about jocks but like thoughts feelings like yeah it's just so interesting i mean this is something i will touch on in the stuff that i'm bringing to but just like kind of the determinism of like you just said literally juvenile detention or sports yeah 
and the use of the body as a way mm-hmm. out um and just what impact that has on young boys in general i mean i'm someone who has a younger brother who was very much in like like three sport athlete mm. high performing uh sports kind of world um and the impact that has on like mental health is wild like truly yeah. wild but it seems like something that is such a given and it, especially in like media it's just like presented as fact yeah. or uh, in a, in inevitability yeah can be very harmful i don't think the media itself is harmful but it's just like wow it's like kind of a contract you sign when you become a football player in friday night lights you know what i mean right and like the the young man who um who had this accident in the real life football team mm-hmm. um he was featured in a documentary called The Crash Reel, which I remember came out, and it was about like serious injuries that happen when young people are playing sports. Yeah. And there is like this high risk, high reward kind of attitude, I think, towards like um just the lengths that that teams or or players will go to mm-hmm. could potentially be extremely harmful. I mean, we know that there's like more brain injury than we've been aware of for ages but like potentially you could become one of the the few yeah super successful oh the promise of mobility yeah almost what feels like luck with sports you know what i mean it's it's like becoming a movie star or whatever it's just so statistically insignificant I wonder, you know, at some point we're probably going to talk about like the the archetype of the the war movie macho. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if a lot of this stuff that's coming in like the second half of the 20th century, beginning of the 21st, is like after the draft. Oh, interesting. And young men not necessarily having like the default that they may end up in the armed forces. Yeah. And like what another type of almost like militant like your body is this tool kind yes. of thing experiences yes. um also performance in a way i mean in the way yeah that there's like military theater for sure yeah and like it, you know there's something about I, i'm sure there are plenty of like athletes who would say that they would experience stage fright if they had yeah. to like go be a public speaker or be in a play or something but they're out there i mean especially in like a town like dillon texas mm-hmm. um where everyone in town goes to the high school football stadium on Friday night to yeah. watch children beat each other up. <laughs> like, yeah, the community element is huge too. Yeah. I mean I mean there's like not much isolation in this world it seems, which you would think is maybe a positive but yeah. can also be extremely reinforcing of negative things about body image, about mental health, about getting out of this town like class race and i have to say that like the notion of like high school sports or jocks or whatever like it it's as foreign to my personal life as like Mm sci-fi and i think that is also part of my fascination with it is like i've never experienced anything like this Mm -hmm. and even like yeah that small town energy when i was in high school uh i'm from LA and we drove we flew to Florida and bought my dad's my grandpa's car from him and drove it back Mm -hmm. and I just remember like driving all the way across the south and there are small towns everywhere there are small towns like right on the outskirts of Los Angeles County right but 
having that thought of like, what is it like as a teenager to know like all the other teenagers around and yeah. all be doing the same thing on the weekend? Yeah. Um, there is, there must be something about that that is like, we all went through it together. Um, yeah. That's completely, it is like aspirational in a way, but I'm Absolutely. sure there's just, the, the grass is greener. Wait, that said, do you identify as a brooder rather than a jock? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my God. Like a jock, a jock to me is like, yeah, it, it, it's like cosplay. Like it is yeah. just truly something where I'm like, that's amazing. I, I did uh, briefly think I was going to go into ROTC. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, like somehow I didn't get the memo that like I've been wearing Coke bottle glasses since I was three years old. And like, <laughs> even when you I had played- a little Miss Sunshine moment where you're like, oh my <laughs> fucking God. <laughs> no, like I truly didn't understand. When I played T-ball, so my sister was a jock. My sister's mm-hmm. uh, 10 years older than me. She absolutely like could have played um, college softball. Like she was, wow. we were always going to her soccer games, her softball games. She was a runner. She lifted weights. She was like really athletic. I then joined T-ball when she was like a star <laughs> high school softball player, and my mom had to make me wear um, terry cloth sweatbands around my wrist <laughs> to wipe my snot on because i was so allergic to the like dirt of the t-ball court yeah <laughs> that amazing. she was like you need to stop like blowing your, n- <laughs> your <laughs> nose in like deep right field where they've placed you because you are too small and too terrible <laughs> of a player yeah. to actually be on this team um, is your sister yeah. still an athlete she is i would say She's the sort of person who will like ride her bike a bunch for charity. Yeah. And stuff sure. like that. And she's still like a uh, she's still st- strong and mm-hmm. but I do think that like that is something that happens to athletes too is like you age out of having an outlet for this yeah. kind of like physical thing and that's something I do think a lot of adults like miss or Yeah. You know, I've I'm starting to see like uh, one of my college friends married a guy from the football team, mm. and he's like a dad now. And I do think it's kind of like, where do you put that energy? You know? Yeah. Well, I ask because thinking about my brother who's in college, like ending his senior year of college, yeah. um, the kind of limbo between teen macho and adult macho, yeah. <laughs> yeah. college macho, whatever. Um, again, he was very archetypal teen macho, like huge athlete. And then he went into studying physical therapy is a personal trainer is like, so focused on that world of like athleticism yeah. in the body as like a way out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it can really, can really like impact your entire worldview. Being those a who can't do teach those who can't <laughs> teach, teach gym. Period. So there's a future. <laughs> Um, also I'm quoting that. That's like, I think that's from school of rock, yes. by the way. Okay. <laughs> Jack Black at school of rock. <laughs> but yes, I am, is, was, will always be a brooder. So let's bring it back brooder to Dylan pride. McKay. Um, now this is like something also when, when we're thinking about like, this is a teen macho who is a brooder. This isn't just like a brooder who's a brooder. There's mm. Christian Bale and Heathers. There's the freaks and the geeks of freaks and geeks. Um, 
But Dylan McKay is different because he wouldn't mm-hmm. ever tell you that these things are important to him, but he has all the indicators of machismo. Obviously, like the aesthetic composition of Luke Perry with his sort of like Johnny Bravo pompadour hair, mm-hmm. his Porsche speedster is the heir to the original teen movie macho James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause, which, by the way, I rewatched. Mm-hmm. And he looks so much like Channing Tatum. Oh. Uh, somehow I have forgot, like, missed wow. this. Time but they the have remake. the same. <laughs> I know. I All I want. And, like, this is. He's, like, the second. Um, he's the second patron saint of this podcast season is oh, Channing Tatum should get the rights to all of the machos <laughs> of <laughs> your. I trust him. <laughs> and Dylan McKay, he loves poetry, but he's always taking his trips to Baja to go surfing. So, you know, God, simpatico cool. contemporary of Bodium Point Break, Patrick oh, Swayze. Yeah. That movie's in 1991. Like, clearly this was in the zeitgeist to have these kind of hunky mm. guys who, oh, they're hunky and they're masculine, but they're they're just, like, in, t- in tune with nature, you know, mm-hmm. when they're surfing. Like, I think they get into this a little bit in um, 90210, and obviously in Point Break, there's, like, surf gangs or there's, you know, territory where – there is that kind of like chest bumping happening. But with Dylan, it's very much like, yeah, I just want to get away from it all. Being yeah. the son of a, of a millionaire <laughs> who lives in, who lives in a hotel and drives a Porsche and then like owns my own craftsman house. Like, oh, wow, I just got to get down to Baja, man. And it's like, yes, you do. <laughs> I feel I, that. <laughs> I believe it. I believe you. Same bro. Oh my God. There's an episode, AC, I'm going to tell you, you have to watch where Brenda Walsh goes with Dylan McKay down mm-hmm. to Baja. And it's like, why, why did you come back? It was a bad idea to come back. You should have lived there and made every mistake of your life. Oh, um, that sounds beautiful. Yeah. There is, of course, I mean, this is a soap opera. So um, Dylan McKay dabbles in gunplay, like not in insignificant amount. <laughs> This does happen, which is like, you know, I'm, I mean, that's, that's not out of line with your Christian Bale and Heathers, but mm-hmm. um, it's this me against the world thing. Mm-hmm. And unlike the jocks, when you're me against the world and you're just you, this can be dangerous. Um, it is succinctly expressed with an iconic line from later on in the series, may the bridges I burn light the way. Oh, oh chills. Chills. <laughs> I mean, look, you can go listen to The Blaze podcast, which is my 90210 show, and hear about, like, an early discovery of being horny from watching this show (laughs) when I was a kid. But still, I think about it, and I'm like, I can't believe I was ever the same. Um, But yeah, like, what I kind of wanted to get into after, like, picking these archetypes apart is why. Why are the brooders and the jocks with big feelings the ones that are legends? Mm. AC, did you know I went to all-girls school? I did not. That is fascinating to me. I think that's going to be key to a lot of the psychological exploration (laughs) (laughs) of this season. Um, I went to girls school from fourth grade all the way through senior year. Oh, my God. My brothers are like way older than me i did not grow up with them mm-hmm. i was in ballet and girls school theater so i did not like know any boys and 
I would just like listen to Dashboard Confessional and sing mm. along, but he was also hot because he had full sleeve tattoos. A brooder in his own right. Yeah, seriously. And I would just fantasize. I mean, I just couldn't imagine what it would be like to meet teenage boys. Yeah. Like my friends didn't have brothers our age that I was like hanging out with. So I knew all these like amazing, smart, curious, intelligent women. And I just couldn't imagine. I was like, oh my God, when I get to college, this mm -hmm. mysterious other side of the population is going to be just as cool and just as interesting, but super masculine. Um, it wasn't like that, turns out. <laughs> um, I watched a lot of RuneScape and listened to a lot of butt rock in dorm oh rooms. Oh my god, RuneScape. <laughs> How on earth? Sorry to any RuneScape fans listening. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's still around. I think you can still play RuneScape. I had to play RuneScape to like hang out with my freshman year boyfriend because... <sighs> Uh, that's that's what it was like when I actually went and met teenage boys. Machos who are orcs. Is that an episode? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but machos who are elves is like truly oh, that's truly that my my teenage like fantasy du jour. I wrote a lot of Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Oh, who are you shipping? <laughs> well, okay, so I would write fan fiction that was like Legolas and like me. Oh yeah. <laughs> Your but name. Then, yeah. But I read a lot of like slash fic of mm -hmm. all the boys, all the Boromir, Aragorn, yep. uh, and Legolas together. Those were my favorite ones to read. Um, yeah. And I always felt like there was this sort of second puberty that had to happen mm -hmm. to move from being fixated on the more like effeminate, kind of approachable of these skilled fighters. Um mm. Like that, who that's who was non threatening to me when I was a teenager. And it wouldn't be until my like early 20s that I would start to see like the real beefy machos in movies and start yeah. to feel like, oh yeah, I want to get to know him. Yeah. And, you know, there would be latent discovery of bisexuality and how that played out in the types of mm -hmm. people I was attracted to on screen. But I'm sure we'll get to that <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Now, like, we have this amazing selection of hunks, sweeties, hot mamas uh, that we can be in love with. But the teen machos have, like, a very special and sensitive place in my heart. Even Luke Perry grew up to complete the life cycle of teen macho to Dilf, playing Archie's dad on mm. Riverdale. Uh, <laughs> What's the name of the drug in Riverdale? Spice? Jingle Jangle? Or Jingle something? Jangle. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I'm reading off Dune. that jingle jingle. <laughs> <laughs> that show, like, I watched oh a few God, episodes so of funny. it doomed from the start. Doomed yeah. from the start. Oh, yeah. Like, KJ Appa in Ginger <laughs> Cosplay. And is is the other one a, a Sprouse? Is that an, yes. a Disney show? Yeah, like, I don't know if you know this, but he's weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. He says, like, I'm a weirdo. To... You, just, you just wouldn't get it. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. I'm just like I'm a weirdo. I'm machos a... who are on Jingle Jangle. Okay, I'm just <laughs> that's I'm going to be pitching ideas through the, all of these. I'm episodes. a loner, Dottie, a rebel. Um, you know, and I just I just love them. I just love the teen machos, and uh, you know, I think also they're a little bit of both. 
Mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox in Teen Wolf is a weirdo, but uh, don't worry, he's a star basketball player at five foot three. <laughs> Heath Ledger in Ten Things About Hate I that Hate is About so You funny. is oh like, my god, the doll, the, the doll. Oh, when he's singing on the on the bleacher steps, like oh, but geez. he's oh, I'm I'm like a brooder, I'm a weirdo, I'm you know everyone's afraid of me, but he's also I'm like Australian grown up man, yeah, mm-hmm. just so hot. Even John Cusack can say anything like he's this sad boy, mm-hmm. the number one, but he's also like at the onset of kickboxing and he's like, I'm going to be a <laughs> kickboxer for a career. So, yeah, I mean, I've just found like the Venn diagram of the brooding, the jock, the teen mm-hmm. macho of my heart. And uh, this is where this all began for me. So I'm glad we started here in oh, high school. I love it. I love it. I love the categorization, the different social groups as identities was like huge for me this week too. And just, Mm -hmm. I mean, in teen media in general, but it was interesting thinking about like these examples compared to media about teen girls. Yeah. Um, It seems like, I mean, I, we will get into this with the examples I'm bringing as well, but there's a lot more room for exploration and identity development with media about teen girls Mm -hmm. or like less of a deterministic approach, which I think is very interesting. Like teen boys are seen as like kind of fully Mm. created, fully identity based human beings. And it's really hard to shake that it seems. And the girls have to figure it out still. There's still like clay to be formed. Yeah. They're characters in Bendit like Beckham who are straight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I want to watch uh, Skate Kitchen. Yeah, I've never seen it, actually. I've seen some episodes of Betty. Yeah. Which feel a little bit more in the macho realm, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that kind of what we've seen boys be able to do in these types of movies and TV, but that it's mm-hmm. happening for for girls. Yeah, that's, that's exciting to see that that's happening. But yeah. Well, bring me back to your teen machos. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so as you and our listeners are going to come to learn, I love film theory, love Mm. criticism, love reading a think piece about every single movie I ever watch. Um, So I was really interested in discussions of juvenile delinquency or Mm. like JD films, Um, particularly in an essay by Timothy Sherry called Bad Boys in Hollywood. Hype, gendered conflicts, and juvenile delinquency films. So that's where I'm working off of. Um, We'll link that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I watched two films, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's The Outsiders and Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. I've Um, never seen The Outsiders. Oh, my! literally melodrama for boys. Yeah. Exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) It has painted backgrounds. It has incredible classical music. It like... A earnest dialogue from yeah. Patrick Swayze, who is stunning, uh, stunning, beautiful, breathtaking God. in it. But That's what I'm I, I doing today. It's so good. Anyway, I feel like these movies seem pretty kind of, you know, disparate on their faces. One was made in 1983 about the 60s. One was mm. made in 1993 about the 70s. Mm. One is very lighthearted very link later kind of just like freewheeling goofy stoner comedy right the outsiders is so melodramatic it's crazy <laughs> yeah yeah 
But I think where they are very similar is that they kind of take this theme of juvenile delinquency and discuss teen boys becoming men within oppressive power structures, which is really Mm -hmm. interesting to me. So as we've been talking about, I feel like both films take a really deterministic or prescriptive approach to teen boys Mm. growing up. So it's like, once you're a greaser, once you're a soch or a jock or a stoner or a freshman, like a middle schooler coming into high school, once you are something, you are that forever. Right. Which I obviously think has negative impacts on the lives of these characters. But I was also really intrigued that it came with a lot of community and kind of emotional elements that we don't see in movies about adult men. Mm. That community in all of this, I hadn't thought about as as strongly. And like, I did rewatch Ripple Without a Cause the other mm. night. And it starts with our three main characters, Salminio, James Dean, and Natalie Wood, having been arrested. Yeah. And from there, it's like, you're bad kids. And you'll never get out of being bad kids. Right. And then, it, you know, uh, James Dean's playing the new kid in school and he's trying to, like, find his people, find his group. And yeah, tragedy ensues. I think I, I've seen Rebel Without a Cause in film school, but have not seen it since. Does that reputation or that identity follow Natalie Wood? I don't remember how yeah. that kind of affects her. Yeah, she's really interesting. I would highly recommend Splendor in the Grass with Natalie mm. Wood and Warren Beatty. It is, um, I think, a better movie. But Natalie Wood's character in Rebel Without a Cause is just kind of seen as like this young woman who is struggling with the fact that her father doesn't see her as his little girl anymore. Oh, but instead sees her as this, this trouble um, mm. now that she's old enough to be sexual, I think. It, she's yeah. trouble. But Watching it now, I was like, uh, there seems like she's a clear victim of childhood sexual abuse. Mm, so yeah. I do think that that is supposed to be in the movie in the same way that like Salminio's character, it's not overt or explicit, but like has homosexual yeah. tendencies and interests. And but how we see him acting out is like he was arrested for shooting puppies. Oh, Christ. <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> dark this starts wow this starts rough um but then you know when you get to see him i'm like god even even if they made this movie in like the 80s mm-hmm. i think they would have been able to like express a little bit further what they were yeah. trying to say about these characters but it's tough it's one of those movies that's tough to go back to without seeing all the things it's influenced totally and then it kind of feels a little cheaper when you're watching it because you're mm-hmm. like oh yeah but they've done this in so many movies even though yeah. it came from that but the outsiders, I like the notion of melodrama for boys. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like that SNL sketch of the um, the wishing well for sensitive boys. Did you see that one? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's it's beautiful. I I am a big fan of melodrama in general. Like giving yourself over to earnestness, essentially, um, and letting yourself feel these things, which I think is really rare, especially for teen boys in cinema. Yeah. So, I mean, for those of our listeners who are maybe unfamiliar with the plot, uh, The Outsiders is adapted from S.E. Hinton's novel of the same name, uh, which she wrote when she was a young person. I mean, the whole narrative around the novel in the film is like, this is a, a movie that depicts the reality of teenagers. Mm. But I think it's true to an extent. I mean, I wasn't in that subculture yeah. <laughs> in the 60s, being a greaser. Um, 
But essentially, it's about turf wars between a group of teen greasers who are like lower class delinquents um, and teen soches who are like middle and upper class boys that they kind of war with. Um, and society is like super, super stratified um, for these boys. So the characters explicitly belong to one group or another. Once you're in it, you're in it for life. There's a lot of identity kind of crisis moments. So we have kind of our main character, Pony Boy, who's a very sweet, like 15 year old who looks so much like Harry Styles, by the way. It was like, <laughs> it was troubling. <laughs> so crazy. This is just us dream casting. It's going to be Channing Tatum <laughs> and Harry Styles in like remakes of all these like classic movies. Exactly. And they are trash. <laughs> <laughs> but at one point, Pony Boy has to cut and dye his hair bleach blonde because mm. he and his bestie Johnny are on the run after killing a Soch accidentally. And there's a whole moment of crisis where he's like, I don't look like a greaser anymore. This mm. isn't me. And Johnny is like, it's just hair, like fucking chill. And he's like, well, it's my identity. Like it yeah. really impacts him in that way. Where is it set? I'm not sure. I don't know if it has like a specific location. It's really hard to tell. It could be like anywhere USA. Does which it feel I think is pretty interesting. suburban or rural or city? More suburban, oh. um, rundown suburbs for sure. Yeah, but definitely anyone could kind of place themselves in this world. Yeah, and, and and more inevitability moments. Like, there's just such an acceptance of going to prison as an inevitability. You have mm. Matt Dillon as kind of the, like, father figure. I mean, Patrick Swayze is Ponyboy's older brother slash dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Wikipedia page for this movie, the synopsis starts with, the Curtis brothers' parents died in a car crash. So it's like, okay, melodrama for boys. So, like, like, Pony Boy's daddy, Patrick Swayze. Like, uh, I actually ooh. do think I have seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hot. It's so, like, oh, it's Won it's some hot. AVNs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, like, accepting inevitability of going to prison, seeing that Matt Dillon's character, Dally, had gone to prison, and it's like, well, it didn't, it wasn't fun, but he did it, and it made him the man he is now. Mm. Like, there's such an acceptance of, you know, this identity that is unchanging. Yeah. And for Dazed and Confused, it's actually kind of similar. I mean, it's it's a completely different movie. It's lighter, it's goofier. The main conflict is about the last day of school, and hazing rituals that the seniors are doing on incoming freshmen. But we have high school quarterback Randy, who kind of splits between groups. He has his stoner friends. He has his nerd friends. But at the end of the day, he's a jock. He mm -hmm. is a football player. He has so much power through that identity that he can kind of manipulate any social situation however he wants. And then even the, the central conflict with the freshmen, like trying to avoid getting their asses beat in these mm -hmm. hazing rituals, like, you're a freshman. There's no getting out of that identity. Like it is yeah. predetermined for you. So it's, it's another kind of determinism. Um, and I think the interesting kind of wrinkle is that in both films, there are characters that try and change their social station right. to very little success. You know, these boys are trying to buck the system or make changes in their lives, but are ultimately met with like the reality that this is never going to change. I think in, in The Outsiders, one character is like, you don't get it, don't you? This is your life. Like, this is yeah. your life forever. Like, <laughs> very, like, you're in it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Ponyboy and Johnny, <laughs> this melodrama for boys is yeah. it. Like, they try, they save these kids from a burning building. 
And then Johnny still goes to prison and is like handcuffed in the hospital while he's like dying of his burns. Like, yeah. Talk about identity, like truly determining that station. You know, I hadn't thought of West side story in this context because don't worry, listeners, we're going to have a whole episode about machos who sing and dance. Um, But there is like that movie is, you know, for for all its f- flaws is a like 1960s kind of look at mm-hmm. immigrant communities and like the kind of 1.5 generation immigrant communities mm-hmm. <laughs> um and that same level of like we came to america like our parents came to america for um opportunity but once yeah. we got here we immediately got locked in to what yes. was possible for us and what was possible for us was a lot of violence and heartbreak and when characters try to expand beyond that they they get they get dead (laughs) or someone gets hurt for sure totally and in taking kind of notes on both of these i was like well we can really extrapolate this even further to say that a lot of teen boy content is about the permanence of social structures (laughs) like not to get too like well like film theory or whatever but it's true. I mean, class is integral to the outsiders. Yeah. There's like class elements in Dazed and Confused versus like like who is throwing the parties, who has mm. access to all of this stuff. Yeah. So it's it's just about kind of permanence. But with that, I mean, it fe- that's kind of a negative read, which I think is true. But mm-hmm. with that, there's so much community that I don't see in content about adult men or adult yeah. machos. You know, these deterministic identities that these boys are part of, greasers, jocks, uh, freshmen, like Mm -hmm. that counts as a group, I guess. Um, There's such a strong sense of community that, you know, you don't really see with adults. So in both movies, boys are always traveling in groups. They're always with their best friends who share common identities and experiences, classes, Mm. um, you know, stations in life, like previously mentioned, um, which is really, really, really interesting to me. As I hear so much in the fucking New York Times and podcasts that are like, there's an epidemic of adult male friendlessness. Like, why don't <laughs> adult men have friends? And it's like, maybe that's a little true, but it's yeah. it's fascinating that so much of teen boy media is explicitly about friend groups and like homosocial relationships. Yeah. 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 And it's not like... I think this is one of those things where we're told that like girls and women seek romance. Mm -hmm. And so like love is going to be the goal of the story, but that's not a goal for boys and men. Like sex maybe is part of it, but like they're never going to like where they're going to get love is going to be from their friendships. Yeah. Especially if they're not getting it at home. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then it's, but it, in, in the same way or on the same, you know, on the other side of the coin, it's like, I don't ever think community is an explicit goal for teen boys in movies. It kind of is, I think, for teen girls in, mm-hmm. in movies and TV shows, but it doesn't seem conscious. And it's like, where does that go? Like, how do these boys become men within these determined identities? And it's like, they kind of, they like, they go to prison, <laughs> like, yeah. like Matt Dillon in The Outsiders, or they become Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused, who plays this just like kind of flop of a former football player who just hangs around by the way, important ugly blonde man representation. (laughs) 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 He has a crazy look and horrible facial hair and is blonde. I'm, I'm also blonde. So I'm like brother in arms slay. 
I know the blonde man is an archetype <laughs> that like I would love machos like, who are blonde machos who are blonde yeah I mean this is this is really like community I think is going to be something we end up talking about in a lot of these episodes yeah. because we're going to talk about it with uh, the military we're going oh, to talk yeah. about it with Magic Mike XXL mm-hmm. um, <laughs> well that was the one that I thought of that I was like that's kind of like one of the only relevant examples of community for adult men that I can think of and it really reiterates kind of this thesis about determinism like once mm-hmm. you're a stripper you're always a stripper <laughs> and you're going to stripper con like, <laughs> and like oh well I was I was doing I just rewatched this last night for literally the hundredth time mm. um uh Joe Manginello is gonna do the firefighter dance because that's what Dallas, played by yes. Matthew McConaughey, told him to do in the first movie, you, you you should do this firefighter dance, but that's not what he wants to do. Yeah. That's not how he wants to dance. That's not how he wants to bring joy. Oh, <sighs> that's going to be such a great discussion. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's literally beautiful. That movie. Yeah. But then it's also like, I'm thinking about this transition from teen macho to adult man. Mm-hmm. And there's almost just this like dotted line where then men become like head of a household, maybe. Yeah. That, but it doesn't feel real, like especially in in media portrayals, like mm-hmm. the father figure. Like, how do you suddenly go from like being these boys in these movies that we're talking to to suddenly you're responsible for? Yeah. Especially in an old old fashioned like world or structure, like taking care of a wife, being yeah. a father to sons and or daughters. Like how how that is not something any of these boys are prepared for. So yeah, we'll talk eventually about um, the best years of our lives, which is mm. one of my favorite war movies. And it's about men who come back from world mm. war two and really, really miss having the community of men on the battleground and they yeah. don't find it in their families and they don't find it in their workplaces. Oh, it starts here. It's like they're so you're a freshman, you're what, 13, 14, 15, and you're yeah. being told this is who you're gonna be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with both um Friday Night Lights and the Outsiders, having those characters who are brothers who are kind of forced into taking care of their siblings, mm. you, you know, with uh Tim Riggins' brother and <laughs> Patrick Swayze as Ponyboy's brother that's kind of the forced into it route, you know, like you go from being a boy to being a man by force um, and by circumstance and still really holding on to that, whatever deterministic identity. I don't know if Tim Riggins' brother was like also a football player or what his story is. Yeah. There is like a moment where he, he would have been, he was going to join the PGA and be a golfer, but then the parents bounced. And so he had to take care of little Timmy instead. Yeah. Well, similarly with with Swayze, he's like still a greaser in these rumbles as like in his mid 20s. Yeah. Like it's it's really clinging to an identity. Even Bernardo in West Side Story. Yeah. He's looking yes. out for his kid sister. And yet he's still also like the head of this this gang. And those two things he like can't carry both of those things. Yeah. I mean, there's so much emotion that lies in these identities and communities like uh, both days and confused and the outsiders have some very beautiful sweet moments of like boys connecting that mm-hmm. again i don't think we necessarily see adult men do in media so like in 
The Outsiders, I think the biggest example is that whole chunk of time where they're on the run after killing this Soch. Ponyboy and Johnny kind of squat in this old church and they just have this idyllic life together for like four or five days where they're reading Gone with the Wind out loud to one another. They're they're sleeping right next to each other. They're catching rabbits. They're like, there's this the beautiful sunset moment where he quotes the Robert Frost poem, the stakeholder mm. pony boy, you know. They confide in each other about suicidal ideation, which is wow. like huge. It's yeah. so it's so realistic. It's so grounded. And it makes kind of the subtext text like it is so explicit about the emotions of these boys which is really beautiful to me but and like in a lighter way in dazed and confused there's this moment at the end of their you know last day of school rager where they're sitting at the 50 yard line on their high school football field hmm. and they're reminiscing and they're talking about their plans to kind of rebel against their football coach the next year and like do i really want to play football like do i really care like what do i want to do and matthew mcconaughey is there being creepy <laughs> being is this, like is this where you just J- gotta live i was gonna say is this where jk Livin comes from <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> i mean wow so many iconic matthew mcconaughey moments in this you have the it'd be a lot cooler if you did <laughs> get your all right all right all right yeah you get your i keep getting older and these girls keep saying the same age like yeah a lot but yeah overall i was just like when's the last time that we got this in kind of an adult macho film and yeah I, my ultimate conclusion was Magic Mike, but yeah. out of, outside of that, it's it's few and far between. I'm actually really glad that I rewatched Rebel Without a Cause recently because you've made me think about elements of it that I'd kind of overlooked, which was the like the teenager who doesn't have a family and who's looking for family structure mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. other children or from like places where they aren't necessarily meant to find that. So, you know. Yeah finding it with your football coach because he's the best father figure you're ever going to have. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely have to watch The Outsiders now because uh, similarly in Rebel Without a Cause, there's a drag racing chicken accident <laughs> that leads uh, that leaves somebody dead. And Ooh. our main characters are kind of on the run afterwards because they can't face what they've just been oh. a part of. And Great double feature then. In that absolutely. Yeah. And you have... Um, Salminio's character, who he has been abandoned by his parents, the only parental figure we see is um, a a black woman housekeeper that Mm -hmm. kind of looks after him. But he starts talking about uh, James Dean's character as if he's his dad. There's supposed to be maybe one's a senior and one's a sophomore or something, but peers. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's literally talking about him. Like he's going to take me out fishing. He's going to take me, Mm. he's going to teach me how to do stuff. Like he's, I mean, it's obviously like there's a sexual component that's very clear Mm. in it, but there's this, this scene where James Dean and Natalie Wood are kind of pretending or play acting that, uh, Salminio is their son. Wow. And oh, that's fascinating. it's really upsetting to watch because you're like, these are three children who just witnessed a tragic and violent death. And yeah. where they want to go to is like a storybook. They want oh. to go to a childhood, like a nursery tale um, yeah. because no one has prepared them for any of this. Also, like Salminio's character, a lot of trauma. Natalie Wood's character, a lot of trauma. What's James Dean's biggest problem? <laughs> His dad is a cuck. That's like literally <laughs> the problem in this movie is that his mom is Listen, a bitch and his dad is a cuck. <laughs> like, 
There's a the whole mom bitch dad cuck dichotomy. There's a whole Incredible. scene in which the dad, who by the way is uh, Thurston Hell the Third from Gilligan's <laughs> Island, um, is like wearing a an apron over his suit to like finish dinner, and Incredible. James Dean like is like, ugh. <laughs> Dad, why do you let her treat you like this? <laughs> Dad, you're so cringe. <laughs> <laughs> why aren't you a Chad, Dad? Like, <laughs> And I was watching, I kept expecting it to be like, yeah, James Dean, the iconic, like, bad boy, sad boy. And instead I'm mm. like, oh, he's just like a, an idiot. I he's mean, which annoying. <laughs> he's just annoying. That's ultimately like every teen ever yeah. is just like, spoiler alert, they're just annoying. But. Annoying. But so valid. Um, Matthew McConaughey. I mean, what a what a man, what a man, what a man. You know. Oh, what a mighty good man. (laughs) He is so fine. He has the weirdest haircut, as mentioned. He's great. He's just such an interesting foil of adulthood in this movie, where it's like, oh, it can actually get kind of sad. Yeah. I love this community I'm in right now. I love the the carefree life of a teen i'm living i love what boyhood offers me and then you have matthew mcconaughey as like the just kind of like oh if they, you were a senior five years ago why are you still here you know um does this movie have an iconic van in it not a van a lot of iconic cars yeah where people are throwing things at mailboxes oh i how could i forget and a simply ghoulish Ben Affleck plays, <laughs> oh. plays a super senior who is a bully. Oh. Wow. Yeah, who is just beating kids' asses the whole, <laughs> the whole show or movie. It's I- I'm scary. going to just like, I mean, spoiler alert, I'm going to make AC put a list on your letterboxed mm-hmm. about everything that people should watch that like l- syncs up to these episodes. But... I think about this movie has Kevin Ke- Matt Dillon, not Kevin Dillon. Kevin Dillon's from Entourage. Yes, The Outsiders has Matt Dillon, who's and one of my faves. He uh, he's in this movie, My Bodyguard. Did you oh, ever see that when he was no. like thirteen with Adam Baldwin uh, playing like <laughs> this troubled kid who has to like look after Matt Dillon because he's getting bullied so much? Drill bit Taylor. The- <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> like there's so much i mean that's this really does come come to like the problems that we might have in society like are yeah. we solving them at the adolescent stage what would you like to see out of like teen boy media like how how do we escape the clutches of determinism for our young men? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so strange because I've, like, literally never met a teen boy. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're actually like. I I want to transpose all of these things onto them that mm-hmm. I think of, like, I made very important friendships when I was a teenager that yeah. are still in my life. and. I wonder if that's because I was in an environment where no, none of us were dating. Like none of yeah. us were, we were thinking about romance and sex, but we certainly weren't having it. Yeah. So our friendships were really, really important. And I think that that's, that's like foundational for me. And maybe I'd like to think that boys can have that too. Um, I also am very curious, like with, especially with these like, 
these are a lot of period pieces here. Yeah. yeah. And when uh, when we were watching Rebel Dead a Cause the other day, my partner was like, were there really this many knife fights back in the day? <laughs> like, were teenagers always just knifing each other? I felt the same about the outsiders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. I wondered if that was because, like, it was before sexual mores loosened up and teen- and you could just go oh, have yeah. sex. Like maybe yeah. when you didn't have like better things to do, <laughs> you were yeah. getting into a lot more scrapes. I mean, obviously. And now these be- kids are always on their phones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're playing RuneScape. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so much like peril, I think. Yeah. And that is... You know, and there's peril, of course, like with with sex that can be extremely fraught yeah. with danger um, for anybody, but certainly for young people. But like, I think we watch these things where these, you know, they're they're dramas, right? They have to encounter some kind of yeah. ad- adversarial situation. But does it make them into men? Does it make them mm. into the people they're going to be, or is it just trauma that they're going yeah. to have to endure? And that's a bigger question than I can answer for sure. Yeah. I was thinking similarly about, I mean, we focused a lot on dramas and I was like, well, we could do like super bad. We could do mm. any number of kind of teen comedies, but even then I, I think it's similar, like do these insane wild nights or what, crazy rampage or whatever the hell happens in these movies. Like, does that actually make them men? How do yeah. they become adults? How do they, you know, learn and grow, are they able to escape any identities that were kind of foisted upon them? Yeah. And I have, you know, I hang out a lot with teen boys. Just kidding. I don't. But my brother <laughs> had a, t- like, teen boys were always in our home yeah. growing up. And I I think teen boys are fucking dying to talk about their emotions with each other. And, yeah. like, getting to level with my brother about that kind of stuff is is so joyful and mm. lovely. and. I, I think it's hard for boys to find a way in. There's like, it's like there's community, but the emotionality is hard to come by. It's hard to get a pony boy Johnny relationship <laughs> in this life. And eventually we are going to have an episode where we get a little bit more into like explicit portrayals of like homosexuality mm-hmm. in machismo and movies and TV. But like, that's also something that these stories, like they maybe hint at, but they don't get into, which is, what happens when you're forming significant relationships with your friends, but you're also attracted to them? Yes. And yeah. how do you determine when intimacy is platonic and when it's not? I right. think that's something every person in real life has probably yeah. dealt with in some capacity. But like, it's not until I think more recently that these things are explored in movies and TV. Yeah. Well, you know, I will sum it up with a quote from Dazed and Confused that I think literally encapsulates so much of what we were talking about. This is when they're sitting on the 50-yard line, talking about life, talking about going to their senior year. One of the characters says, well, all I'm saying is that I just want to look back and say that I did it the best I could when I was stuck in this place, had as much fun as I could when I was stuck in this place, played as hard as I could when I was stuck in this place, and dogged as many chicks as I could when I was stuck in this place. I wow. mean, the stuckness. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> like, Seriously, man. Mobility from here to juvie. Well, <laughs> we will be right back to share this season's version of the freakout, which is Macho of the Week. Hell yeah. 
Hey, FFR listeners, are you signed up to our Patreon yet? If you're not, you're missing out on special content made exclusively for our patrons. And if you're not a patron, that means that you're not helping me get paid. And if you're not helping me get paid, that means my good little dog Griffin isn't getting the good treats. Head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak. That's F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Become a patron to get great content and also to make sure my dog Griffin gets the good treats. Oh, and you get the good treats as well, which in your case would be quality discussions about media. Now it's time to talk about the macho that's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Take it away, AC. Oh, thank you, Kat. And you <laughs> already know where this is going. Okay, so my intention for Macho of the Week is like, I want to keep it relevant to what we're talking about, but I want to make it timely since yeah. we talked a lot about period pieces, stuff that was made before the 2000s, etc. Um, so thinking about teen machos this week, my choice was obvious and timely. The Oscars are fast approaching. Uh, and who better to give our inaugural Macho of the Week title then my boy, <laughs> my Elvis, uh, another comrade in the fight for blonde men's rights. Oh no, Austin Butler. Oh okay. no. <laughs> uh, um, is he is he fighting? I mean, I don't know if that Elvis cosplay does that take him out of the running. No, he's an I iconic in, blonde boy. In real life, he's really embla- embraced his natural locks. So <laughs> his natural um, locks, if not his natural voice. <laughs> but I love the voice. I will go to bat for the voice. Oh, okay. I'm into it. Look, if I think to, uh, my guess is that he finds it very gender affirming <laughs> to go into that register. That's my oh, personal absolutely. read. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I mean, okay, teen macho connection for Austin Butler. I would say he's like most well known for, I have four sets of quotation marks around that in our <laughs> show notes um, for his supporting roles on various teen shows on disney and nickelodeon so he was on icarly he was on hannah montana he was on wizards away really place i think interviews and content has been calling him a child star i feel mm. like that's really generous <laughs> i was a child watching these shows and i don't remember a damn episode he was in he yeah. was truly like supporting the whole time but he's definitely a brooder as yeah. we've been talking about very pretty boy and every single interview he gives he's like i was on set of icarly learning how to play guitar and like reading about the Meisner method, like whatever, while like on Ned's Declassified. So that's <laughs> peak murder yeah. behavior. And nominating him this week for Macho of the Week because he is maybe going to win an Oscar. Fingers crossed. The only thing I really saw him in was the show, the Freeform show. Maybe it was still ABC Family at the time, mm-hmm. Switched at Birth. Oh. Um, which I love. It's a trilingual show for teens which is cool um as a deaf character right yeah like it's about it's about like uh, teenage girls who find out that they were switched to birth in the hospital Mm -hmm. after they were born and one of the girls is deaf and was raised in the like hispanic neighborhood of kansas city Mm -hmm. and the other one is being raised by why can't I remember her name? Zoe Deutsch's mom. <laughs> That's so rude. That is so rude to Howard the Duck star. Back to the future Zoe star. Mom. Zoe Deutsch's mom. Yeah. So like the the main the two main girls. Uh, one of them is Luke's daughter from Gilmore Girls. Boy, I really wow. don't remember these names. Um, A galaxy of stars. <laughs> 
and the other girl is like grow, grew up thinking she was Mexican and she's like literally the whitest person ever. That's but she ends up dating Austin Butler and Is he Mexican? No, but he has like the Rachel like <laughs> I love describing men as having the Rachel like from Keith Rainieri to Austin Butler, but um but I just remember uh, thinking, oh, he's like a way cuter version of that blonde boy from Glee. Oh yes, Cordover Street. <laughs> Cordover Street. <laughs> and you know what? I like as a griever too, like grieving mm-hmm. celebs like start to like have a special place in my heart. Yes. Uh, like Andrew Garfield has spoken about mm-hmm. loss and Austin Butler's like SNL monologue talking oh about my God. losing his mom. I was so like, beautiful. This is a sweetie boy and he feels his mm-hmm. feelings and he's obviously beautiful. Oh. Very happy for him to be Macho of the Week. Oh, congrats, Austin. I know you're listening. I texted you about this and you're really excited. <laughs> Your sash <laughs> is in the mail. <laughs> Merch opportunity? Okay, think about it. Thinking about it. But that's our Macho of the Week. Austin Butler, baby. Oh, man. Well, this has been um, perfect, obviously. Uh, <laughs> so... This is episode one of this season of Feminist Frequency Radio presenting Machos Fully Loaded. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, I'm AC Lamberty. Follow me on Insta and Letterboxd at AC Lamberty. We'll be posting a list of these movies and shows going forward. Absolutely. I'm Kat Spada. I'm also on Letterboxd, but I don't feel like I use it right. I just keep it to keep track of what I've been watching. But uh, I'm on Twitter at Kat underscore EX underscore Machina. Make sure to follow Feminist Frequency on all the socials at FemFreak. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around for the bonus episode. We're going to talk about some Oscar predictions because this should be coming out a few days before uh, Hollywood's biggest night. (laughs) Whether we like it or not, (laughs) it's Hollywood's biggest night. Um, If you like the show, help other people find it by subscribing, rating, commenting on your favorite podcast app, share us on your socials, etc. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Stay gold, pony boy. <laughs> <laughs>